the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 24 Doctor Who The Leisure Hive Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the next in our series of podcasts. Today we are looking at the Leisure Hive, and this is in memoriam of Lovett Bickford, who died in late 2018. Now, the Leisure Hive is the only story that uh, Lovett Bickford directed, and it's also the start of season 18, which marked a significant change in the style of Doctor Who. I personally am a big fan of the change in style. It's the start of John Nathan Turner's tenure as producer. There was a new title sequence, new costume for the Doctor, and a very different feel from the show from what had gone before. Now, Simon, I know that you are a you quite a fan of the Graham Williams era. I am less so, but I, I am. I think it's produced some fantastic stories. Um, City of Death has always been a favourite. I really like Nightmare of Eden, Robot's Operation, Stones of Blood. There are some wonderful stories in the Graham Williams era. There are equally some wonderful stories in the John Nathan Mm, Turner era. And this season in particular threw a lot of really good stuff at us. Um, I love The Leisure Hive. I think it's an interesting story. I think it looks so 80s it hurts, Um, (laughs) which is no bad thing. There's... State of Decay, there's Logopolis, there's Keeper of Trark, and Warrior's Gate, which is one of my all-time favourite stories. So th- this season I have a lot of fond memories of. I can remember watching it at the time. I have to be honest, I don't have m- massively strong memories of The Leisure Hive at the time. There are some of the shows in this series that I, I do remember quite strongly. And I love the way the Argolins look incredibly 80s if I was ever going to cosplay as something from Doctor Who other than the Doctor it would be as an Argolin See, I, I adore the Leisure Hive I can only imagine how it felt in 1980 having had God knows how many years of the wonderful Bernard Lodge title sequence you've got the BBC One continuity announcement and then that title sequence opens and you're, you're faced with something totally different. I think this is entirely what it needed. I mean, before we've... We'll do the commentary for episode one and, and episode four, as we usually do in these, in, with all Doctor Who stories. But I am particularly fond of the Leisure Hive. Now, I was just too young to witness this being broadcast. My first memory is actually the visitation. But I think that stylistically, what a wonderful... Reboot's too strong a word, but reinvigorizing of the series, this is. Yeah, I mean, in terms of design, and I know I've talked about this before, I don't like the whole complete burgundy thing for, for the Doctor. I do, we disagree um, on that. That's the only thing we disagree on, I think. Because I think it looks too... Designed. Too designed. And also, it's kind of getting to the point where Romana wears fancy dress costumes rather than costumes i mean she's a, she's got a sailor schoolgirl combo whatever she, to be fair she had the schoolgirl thing going on in city of death the fanboys in 1979 must have been happy 
Well, across well, the straight ones, perhaps. Yeah, and and actually with Romana, it, that's less of a thing because she's a newly graduated out of Gallifrey time lady with certainly to start with not a massive amount of real universe experience and wearing a costume is probably exactly that for us. So. She's no Mary Tam though. Oh, Mary Tam. Anyway, I've covered that. Yes. Thank Romana you. won the drag queen. She's not a drag queen. Looks like one though. Never, never qualified again. Anyway, <laughs> in memoriam of Lover Beckford, here's Le Leisure Hive, episode one. Enjoy. <laughs> So that was the theme tune you didn't want us to talk over. That was. I, I, I love that theme tune more than any other. Uh, I just think it's beautiful. Yes, um, I agree. Peter Howell, I salute you, sir. He wanted to rework the theme tune from the ground up and have no restrictions on what he did. He actually sang the theme tune through a vocoder. There's a wonderful making of, which is probably available on YouTube somewhere. Uh, it's certainly on the Leisure Hive DVD that explains how he built the theme tune. It's brilliant. This is the only bit of the Leisure Hive that I think is a little bit odd. You start this new series Mm. at 100 miles an hour. Once the title sequence is over, you slow down to a leisurely five miles an hour across Brighton Beach for 90 seconds. Not sure what's going on there. John Nathan Turner uh, wanting an excuse to publicise his hometown. You're a cynical bastard. <laughs> he did live in Brighton, didn't he? I've no idea. That's it. The other one that's banging on about his autobiography. Yeah, no, but it's been a while since I read that thing. I was. I thought he came from Birmingham. With somebody else. <laughs> now, ah, TARDIS. Right, there we go. I mean, it's possible he came from Birmingham and... New TARDIS prop for this story. I didn't know until very, very recently... All the TARDIS props had back doors as well as front doors. Oh. I had no idea. What's that string? That string is very, very noticeable in this remastered version. It never was on the VHS. Well, that's dreadfully designed. I love that costume. Genuinely, I love the burgundy outfit. That's something I would wear. Yeah, that sounds a surprise. He's, okay, so K9 is so badly designed that he has no shielding underneath. So he can go, if he goes into water, he short circuits the point where his head explodes. But doesn't seem aware of this fact. So we'll happily go trundling into water. Stop picking holes in classic Doctor Who, I forbid it. You may only pick holes in the Jodie Whittaker era of Doctor Who. Okay, you do know that's most of the reason we're here. <laughs> oh, but isn't it bloody brilliant? It is. Have we reviewed the gym yet? 
Um, I thought we were going to do that between episodes. Bollocks. Um, no, Let's we... do it now. While we're on Brighton Beach, we are on Bloom, Bloom Gin. Gin, which was a 50th birthday present from my wonderful friend Lulu. This wouldn't be Lulu Hayes, would it? This would be Lulu Hayes. Lulu, good evening, madam. How are you? She and I have known each other for a number of years. A short while. Um, a few decades. Well, I have to say, I'm rather enjoying this. We're, we're doing this again um, in teapot form, but this time with infusions. There's uh, raspberry and strawberry and a little bit of hibiscus infused through this. I have to say, I'm rather enjoying it. Yes, it's absolutely lovely. Um, it's smooth. It's... Nice hit of botanicals, but not overpowering. We had it before without the additional hibiscus and other things. And it was every bit as lovely. Mm, it was. It's smooth. It's easily drinkable. Well done, Lulu. Mm. It's a five out of five Bernard's for me. I'm, I'm going to give it a four out of five, but it, it's a, a, a high four. It's, yeah, lovely. Absolutely lovely. Uh, now, uh, back to the Leisure Hive. We see the first example of... Quantel after uh, the second example rather of Quantel with uh, Brock on the viewer screen they really hammer Quantel in this story and to be fair the effects in the Leisure Hive are excellent they've really really made the effort it's always compared to Star Wars which by this point would have been compared to Empire Strikes Back but I don't think this is bad for television special effects. I think they've yeah. re... Because what well, the, the equivalent of, at the time would have been Buck Rogers. Which I never really watched. I wasn't remotely interested in. Battlestar Galactica, possibly. Battlestar Galactica was a few years earlier. Buck Rogers was marvellous. I'm surprised you weren't interested in Wilma Deering. Uh, again... I'm sure I would be if I watched it now. All I remember is that stupid dog thing. Twinkie? Uh, Twinkie wasn't a dog. The dog was Daggett from Battlestar Galactica. Twinkie was a really annoying <laughs> child-shaped <laughs> robot. <laughs> yeah, you see, this docking sequence they're obviously really proud of because they use about a million times they do. the story. In fact, there's quite a few sequences throughout the Leisure Hive they use a lot. The sequence of Varga running to the conference room, they use three times at least. Yeah, but that docking sequence model shot. Again, uh, one of the things I meant to put in as uh, housekeeping, one of the things we usually do on these is uh, put on the production subtitles. So every time we've referred to something off screen, that doesn't quite make sense in the commentary. We've been looking at the production subtitles. The whole of the Leisure Hive is really well cast. Yeah. He's brilliant, Brock. And he... Morris... No, younger one, turns into Inspector Grimm. How do you know Inspector Grimm? Oh, the thin blue line is great. Yes, David Haig. Yes. I am amazed. We must do a thin blue line. Thin blue line, 
Black Books, IT Crowd. Stop tempting me. These are all my favourite stuff. Plebs. Now, I've got to, I've got to say, Quantel, that is a really, really nice TARDIS materialisation. If you look at it without knowing that they're both Argolins in advance, it's quite a creepy performance. Do you mean they're both for Massey? Yeah. Part of the business of this hive is to develop cross-cultural understanding. There's only one life form... What's his damn name? He was in The Two Doctors. Destari. Oh, was he? Yes. It's years since I've seen The Two Doctors. Graham MacDonald did consider other candidates, but quickly appointed Nathan Turner as his successor. Now, all praise to Graham Williams for suggesting John Nathan Turner. I genuinely do believe John Nathan Turner made a very, very good job of this first season, and quite a few seasons afterwards, to be honest. Yeah, the only thing is we got Megalos instead of finishing Sharda. Yeah, but to be fair, I have to say in, in Nathan Turner's defence, the tone of Sharda is totally different to season 18. I can't blame the man for not finishing Sharda. Have you seen Megalos? Yeah, I know, but it would have involved going from a brand new start with a brand new costume to immediately shooting old footage in the old costume... Uh, bear in mind, I love Sharda. I really, genuinely do. Mm. And the new version of Sharda that they've just released on Blu-ray with the, I won't spoil it for anyone listening, the surprise bonus bits in it, which are more than worth a look. Really? Oh, really. We must do that at some point. That's got to be one of our, our specials. It would not have fitted into season 18 at all, so I'm not sad that they didn't. I'm glad that what exists exists and what they've done with it, they've done with it, but it, it wouldn't have fit into season 18 at all. Another thing that I really like about Leisure Hive is mm. the incidental music. I think that it was Peter Howell and the Radiophonic Workshop that uh, first got their hands on this. This was sort of the, their first outing yeah. following Dudley Simpson's by now quite samey incidental music I really think they've taken it and run with it in the leisure hive it never quite strikes you in the same way again even though it's completely different but the the, the leisure hive brilliant incidental music brilliant see a lot of um, the camera shots if you watch Hmm. they're clearly done more or less single camera now they don't have time to do single camera so it's not a massive surprise to me that this overran by an entire day in BBC terms that is quite a large amount and this is horrible I mean there we go Lowman there being physically ripped apart on screen his arms pulled out his legs pulled out and his head pulled off that's really unpleasant mm. that's Nigel Lambert doing the voiceover mm-hmm. and this is why I want to watch Look Around You because Nigel Lambert does the voiceover for that 
And it's clearly been employed by people who have watched The Leisure Hive. I really like his costume. And it's the only time we see that hat. Even covered in all that makeup, Adrienne Corrie, following her appearance in The Champions, which we've already done in episode three. The Night People. That was the episode of The Champions. Was that the one we watched? Yes. Yeah, she was the witch that got her effigy gone squidgy. What what an attractive woman she is. I don't expect you to agree with any of this. What, compared to Alexandra Bastida? They could really just run to the TARDIS at this point and turn the key and no one would know. There's no need for any of this scarf business. I'm going to try and look at this through 1981 eyes and comparing it to Doctor Who that's gone before you have got to be blown away yeah I, I think looking at it now it, it's a very good story it, it's very shiny and they're way, wearing yellow costumes and it's very 80s but still it's a really good story Executive producer Barry Letts, because they didn't trust John Letton Turner to do it alone. Well, fair enough, perhaps they met Gary Downey. So, we've just done episodes two and three of The Leisure Hive. Really like this story. I do. It looks fantastic. I mean, it's very, very 80s, but well done, 80s. I can't really fault it. I know people pick holes, as we all do, we pick holes in the Famasi. And June Hudson was quite concerned, the designer. Very close-up shots of the eyes, uh, because she said they weren't really designed to be viewed up close in in that much detail. I can't really pick a a hole in it and say they look rubbish, because they don't. No, I mean, they don't look as good as the Zabi, but... Oh, God, you and... (sighs) Whatever you think of the story, the Zabi... Look fantastic. Count no, still, no, I still can't think of anything to say. Anyway, back onto the leisure hive, and I've completely lost my train of thought. No, there's a, there's a quite a nice shot actually at the end of episode three, where um, the doctor and the pharmacy they burst into the boardroom, and one of them rips Brock's mask off. Mm. And there's a really nice shot where the pharmacy hand goes to the face. And John Collins screws his face up just enough to make it look like his face is coming off. It's much better done than the similar shot of the Count in City of Death. Well, yeah, because that's just a that was just poorly cut together the the rubber mask. That was um, very well done. It looked effective. I don't think the Famasi rush anywhere. Not really. This idea that they're in any way gangland criminals is they're padding about in quite a cutesy way, actually. They're far too cute to be a, a decent baddie. 
They're a bit like budgies, really, with the little beaks. And they're green as well, and a bit spangly. So the, <laughs> well, they are a bit spangly, but the whole, the whole thing is very spangly looking, mm. and I absolutely love the way the Argolins look. I know the costumes were very cheap to make. I, I was more thinking of the, the makeup and hair design, and I think they look very, very effective. There's only one bit that I have a problem with. It's just stretching the bounds of credibility a bit far, is where the Doctor's chalking equations, quantum equations on the TARDIS, and that's enough to, the shock of that is enough to knock out an Argolin. Not entirely convinced by that. No. It's nice, but as the production notes say, it's a, a hangover from a previous script. During that was, the, that was a lot seven. more humorous. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And I, I quite like the fact that they've got a research lab that looks completely unlike any, anything that a modern-day scientist would recognise as a research lab. You mean there's no bubbling test tubes and dry ice as, as you would usually get on television in this era? Nobody's wearing a white coat and there's no equipment that you recognise? It's kind of the equipment, because mm. if it's a physics lab, you wouldn't, expect, you wouldn't really expect test tubes. No, it was a, that was a, a sort of portmanteau idea of the archetypal yeah. lab from the 70s and 60s and beyond and what you've got now. And it doesn't marry up with any of it. No, and I think that, that looks nice. The visual effect of the surface of Argolis and the, the model work of the Leisure Hive itself looks really good. Mm. Which is perhaps as well, considering how often they use it. That docking shot. They're obviously very proud of it because it seems to crop up about every 30 seconds. There are a lot of shots that are reused and I've never really noticed before. But given the fact that this story overran by an entire day, which in filming terms is quite a lot. Yeah. I know John Nathan Turner got a monumental bollocking for it from higher up. I think there's two reasons for that. One, Love at Bickford's direction, as I've said before, is more it's more suited to single camera style than multi camera. But also it's also a very complex story. There's a lot of there's a lot of technical shots for starters. And also, there's a lot of cutaway shots. The things like the uh, the tubes, when they're doing the experiments. Romana and um, Hardin are doing the experiments. And there's a lot of Quantel stuff as well, isn't mm. there? Again, a lot of that would have been done in post-production, but even so, you've still got to set up the shots. Yeah. But I love it. I, stylistically, I love it. I think the, the change from certainly the previous season is marvellous. I can only imagine how viewers felt. And, yeah, um, and they saw this and then got Megalos. Never had a problem with Megalos. I think it's a terrible waste of Jacqueline Hill. I, I mean, it's not a dreadful story. It's just not a particularly good one. No. Um, and I, I find it quite depressing that we got that instead of finishing Sharda. As I said earlier, it's stylistically completely different. It is a shame Sharda was never finished. I wish it. I mean, realistically, I wish they'd have done it as... Sort of a one-off, if you will, um, like a, a summer special or something. But Nathan Turner came in, and I can fully understand why he didn't want to start his tenure with yeah. mopping up after the last one. But it, it is a shame, because is a great story. Yeah. Have you seen the new version? No. That's worth watching. Bizarrely, it's not episodic. It's one movie. I've, I've got it at home. Mm. I, I must watch it at some point. And there's a very nice surprise in it, which I won't spoil. Uh, but anyway, back to the Leisure Hive. We'll move on to the final episode. Bask in the glory of part four. Absolutely.
Now we're watching this as we always do with the production notes on and it's just popped up about the new title sequence. Now there's a really good documentary on this disc uh, with Sid Sutton and Peter Howell about how the new title sequence and theme arrangement was made. And as with the Bernard Lodge one, it sounds like a real long-winded, tortuous process to make it. Many bemoan the loss of the time tunnel effect. Never actually heard anyone say that. It's a very long recap in this episode. There is. Oh, no, that's, yeah, that's a less than But still better than Count Scullion. Mm. Terribly RP excellent. Yeah, hello. We have a Fumati. Looks genuine to me. Fumati's eyes were operated by the action inside the costumes with a headboard connected to the eyes. I just made them look even more cute by wrapping them in cotton wool. Always reminds me of a bed jacket or a costume. Who do you know that wore a bed jacket that spangly? The frills on it, I just mean the actual material. Why are they under guard from the two nurses who have just... Appeared. Well, no, they were in the previous scene looking after Mina and they've just ignored her. She's collapsed on the floor and her medical team is swanning off down the corridor with everybody else. Maybe it's their tea break. Never really noticed the massive wind chimes in his no. in his lab before. <laughs> oh, I didn't know no. they reused the costumes Neither in Leisure High. Logopolis. Logopolis. Oh, he didn't at least turn round. It always amuses me when doors open and people pad about. That they're always deaf. There was. What, you mean like that? And those automatic doors can apparently just open part way or all the way. I've always thought it a little bit odd that they have all those different kind of statues around the place. And they're not statues of Argolins. Yes. They look more like robots of death, actually. Oh, they do. She's very good in this, I dream, Corrie. She is. I'm not convinced that the ageing makeup they've really gone far enough with it, to be honest. We've seen her in a couple of things recently, haven't we? Was it the Champions? We, we definitely saw her in the Champions, but I thought we'd, we'd seen her in something else as well. He's heading for the generator. Actually, a lot of these Quantel shots work very well. Yeah, they do. And another thing I like about this, again, a stark contrast to what's gone before, is the incidental music. The way it's directed allows a lot of gaps for the incidental music. And the ageing makeup effects are really good on mm, um, on Tom Baker. Sir. Tom Baker and Adrian Corey. Nothing can stop us now. The Nothing in the world can stop me now. <laughs> I like the the tannoy voice. Sounds exactly like Adrian Corey, but it isn't. Variation in height for all these clones. Variation in height that you get with the Cyberman or whatever, it's just. 
extras having the temerity to actually shape differently. And presumably this is like the pair of the Daleks where they've only got half a dozen of them and they just go around in circles. Now Nigel Lambert is the voiceover for series one of Look Around You, which we must come on to. And I'm fairly sure he got that gig on the on the back of this because it's almost the style of narration is almost identical to when he's giving the demonstration in episode one of the uh, Tachyon Field. So his experiments not worked terribly well because all the clones are disappearing. I didn't realise Love at Bickford had been an AFM either. I don't really think there's any need for that. He could have been trying to help her. It's difficult to see exactly what he's done because you can't strangle somebody by grabbing them at the back of the neck unless argle in necks work very differently. The images must be multiplied with some FIFO stack. FIFO stack? Oh, yes, I see what you mean. First in, first out, Where's his costume suddenly appeared from? Which would make you the original. Well, I had concluded that was a pillage. Okay, he's taking his scarf out of the um, helmet. Um, yeah. That's a very good point, actually. Where has his costume been from? It doesn't look very comfortable, though. A waistcoat, a jacket, and an overcoat. Be a bit warm. Mm. Best petulant child acting. I think I said it'll be jubilation. You think? Well, then turn it off. I see the regenerators also um, provided Pangle with <laughs> the appropriate clothing as well. Yes, I never really saw the point of the randomizer in the first place. No, they suddenly could steer the TARDIS. Seeing as right from the beginning, they've not been able to steer it properly. That really is a very nice model shot. Mm. And that's the last time we ever see that hat. One story and that's it. Did he not like it? Or? Dunno, that's, um, I know they didn't like the shoes, because in this he's wearing uh, shoes and socks. And the buccaneer boots quickly make, I can't remember which story it is. Uh, but to be fair, I agree, the, the boots look much better with the costume than shoes. I do like this title sequence yeah. and it, it's very nostalgic. I, I prefer the tunnel one. I think I prefer this one largely because it's the one I grew up with. Yeah, you see, I grew up with the tunnel. Mm. So. This is the first episode of a series from the early 2000s called Look Around You. Uh, this is to tie in with the Leisure Hive and Nigel Lambert, who does the narration for this, 
It's an affectionate skit on schools programs from the 70s Look and 80s. Around you. Look around you. Now you've not seen this before. I, I've never seen this before. Just look around you. Have you worked out what we're looking for? Correct. The answer is maths. This program, maths, is discussed in chapter 3.14159.26 of your textbook, which accompanies this series. What's the largest number you can think of? 100,000? 999,000. A million. In actual fact, it's neither of these. The largest <laughs> number is about 45 billion. Although mathematicians suspect that there may be even larger numbers. Maths stands for Mathematical Antitelharsic Halfatum Septum. This is just really bizarre. Gene is shorter than Brutus, but taller than Imhotep. If Gene stands exactly one nautical mile away from Gene's husband, how tall is he? Is it? We're going to the answers to the problems at the end. I would love to see the school's programs I used to watch because this is Take pretty much as I remember. It looks exactly it like it. I mean, it's bonkers, but... If we plot its graph, we arrive at this unusual shape. A uniformly curved line that somehow joins up with itself. Can you think of a name for it? The Royal Mathematics Society would like to hear from you because they hold a competition each year to find a name for this figure. The final takes place in Nottingham on April the 4th of September. And you could win Nottingham in the middle of Devon. Toast system. Peter Serafinovich and Robert Popper who did this, spiders. they've done the, all the incidental music for this as well. Eight spider shoes must also be bought. Problem three. For this problem, you'll need to set your calculator to maths. <laughs> it's the future. Queen Elizabeth III and Queen Elizabeth IV are going to a party held by Queen Elizabeth V. Queen Elizabeth III has 40 dresses to choose from, whereas Queen Elizabeth IV has 4,000. Queen Elizabeth and belly makeup and kiss makeup. That's the last of your problems. Analyze all your calculations. What? Stop writing now. Stop writing now. Here are the answers to all your problems. Problem one, Imhotep is invisible. Problem two, the ladies were eight pence short. And problem three, the party was cancelled. <laughs> now hand in your copybooks to your teacher or head of class. In the next programme, we will look at cosmetics. And that's Peter Serafinovich in the, in the window, isn't it? Uh, in the mirror, isn't it? That was really odd, but very entertaining. The rest of the series is exactly the same. I can't. I, I mean, it's probably it's got it'll have a shelf life. I would have loved it if they'd made more of those, but I suppose it's there's only so far you can run with something like that. But each. Um, episode deals with a different module and I'm, I might have to have a look at some more of that. that that was that was a lot of fun water from ocean to sea to lake to pool to pond to puddle to drop to drip water 
Chemical symbol H20 is They do quite a lot of this made-up words thing. Bit like the Black Hatter um, dictionary episode. Yes. And that is Sarah Alexander, which is Peter Serafinich's wife. She's been in quite a few things. Oh, I didn't know they were married. Yeah, she was... Coupling. Green wing. Uh, I think that was Samantha Janus. Green wing? No. Is it not? No. Samantha Janus was... Game On. Which I've never seen. And I, keep, I, I think it's one of those things I probably would enjoy. Yeah, so what did you think of that? That was really entertaining. Probably means nothing to anybody didn't see those um, schools programs. Yeah, I don't know what time, what what period they stopped showing those, um, because they were certainly running all the way through the eighties. But that's how they looked, exactly. And yes. they, they've even they filmed them on film using the same cameras. They even went as far as getting the original microphones that they used to do the uh, voiceovers with to get it sounding right. To get it sounding right. So the effort put in. Because um, if you're going to do something, if you're going to do a pastiche, you may as well yeah. have it nailed down. But yeah, that was just a nice little bit of fluff to round us off this particular episode. We've gone from Love at Bickford through sort of a backdoor route to Nigel Lambert, but it's uh, that was a nice entertaining 10-minute diversion. It, it was. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I'll, I'll watch some more at some point. Um, absolutely bonkers. Which is how very, we like it. Very entertaining. Um, I, I think that Peter Serafinovitz but it probably put me off because I, I found his show massively self-indulgent, not particularly interesting. The only bit I remember of, from that is uh, the Darth Vader stuff. I think that was the one, wasn't it? It did quite a bit of stuff on the Death Star. Now you see, whenever I think of Darth Vader, I just think of um, the Eddie Izzard Darth Vader in the uh, Death Star canteen monologue that he does. God, I love Eddie Izzard and I can't remember that at all. Well, that'd it, be a treat for you to come I'd love to dig that out. Um, can't remember which tour it's on. I'm assuming it's one of his later ones. I do have them all, but the later... No, no, it's Cake of Death era. Right. Well, I don't think it's... God, we are segueing again here. I don't think it's Dress to Kill or Glorious or Definite Article. So it's either John Glurs, which I don't have, or sort of Circle. I can't remember. I mean, I, I've, I've seen all of them. I'll have to dig that out. Darth Vader in the Kansas I can't remember that at all. Anyway... We, we, I think we should wrap it up there we, before yes. we, we go off on a completely different tangent. As ever, boys and girls, thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed our uh, drunken 
stroke not drunken ramblings and we will be back in a couple of weeks with the next edition take care the final part of the podcast this week features a long overdue third segment of an interview with Sophie Aldred. This was recorded at the Cavern Club in 2007 and also features John Ainsworth from Big Finish. Um, well, we're going to actually bring someone else on stage just now because one of the things that you've been able to reinvent Ace and take it into the 21st century through the wonderful people at Big Finish. Yes. Um, are, you, are, you I mean, are you enjoying the opportunity to develop the character? Because I listened yeah. to the, the Harvest the recently and it's a fantastic adventure. It's really, really good. Very scary, in fact. I mean, are you enjoying that process of, of being able to take her on to an hour later? Yeah, I'm, I'm really loving doing big finish stuff. I think all actors enjoy doing audio. I mean, they, they've been able to attract really big names, partly because they're such nice guys. And um, partly because they... Can we get another cheer? Yeah. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. They, they so, they're great to work with. Uh, they're always good fun. You meet the most wonderful people. And the scripts are great, I think, because they've been really studied well. The fact is that it's being made by uh, fans who are now professionals. And I think that that is really great because they know the back history. They know who said what to who before, you know, so it, it, it really, it really does work well. And I've loved, what I've really loved recently is working with Phil Olivier because um, his, uh, his character of Hex, I don't know, this Ace and Hex immediately just went together really well. I think, you know, the scally and the, and the sort of, uh, you know, the, well, not Cockney, but yeah. sort of the uh, estuary English girl. I don't know, it just really, really works. And although, you know, I'm probably nearly old enough to be Phil's mother, that we seem to, we've got this kind of spark going that really works very well. And of course, for me, I've done Ace a lot now, uh, even since the programme finished. I've done a lot of Big Finish. I did a lot with Bill Baggs. And I was beginning to think, gosh, what else can happen to Ace? You know, we've, we've, we've dug into her psyche and, you know, we know all about her, really. Aren't people going to get a bit bored? But this is great because the relationship between Hex and Ace means that um, Hex can, uh, well, Hex is the trainee really, and Ace is telling him what to do. Yeah. So it's lovely because instead of the doctor saying just, you know, Ace, what's this? And Ace says what it, you know, she thinks it is or whatever. Or the doctor teaching her. Ace is now from her lofty position of having been around a bit, can now. Tell, tell Hex what to do yeah. and I think that's what's working really well Well we're going to bring on one of the loveliest people from Big Finish um, who's one of the directors and uh, producers of the show, uh, Mr John Ainsworth who's come to join us, please remember the applause John Ainsworth And his chair Thank you So how are you John? Very good thank you Very pleased to be here John nearly killed me once. Yes, in Liverpool, in fact. In Liverpool, yes. Not this far is the last from here. time we were in Liverpool together. Was yes, when probably we probably nearly killed to death. you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Have you heard about that one? Well, no, you, you tell it. Well, no, I'll lead into you telling it. But I, I think it was in your book or something. I read the two most frightening things that ever happened to you in Doctor Who were being almost killed in Battlefield and me choking you to death with a donut. But go on, you can tell. There was a programme on TV called Sticky Moments. Did anyone remember that with Julian Clary? Yeah. Well, one of the cabaret things at this... Um, was it was it down? It was, was at it the Adelphi? Adelphi Hotel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, we just, they decided to do Sticky Moments and 
here's Julian Clary, all dressed up. It, he was brilliant. Um, so the idea was, in this particular round, that um, we had to get questions right, didn't we? There were two yeah. teams, we had to get questions right. And if we got a question right, we'd take a, a bite of a donut, and the first person to finish their plate of donuts won a prize. So me being very competitive, I, and also wanting a laugh, I thought, if I get a question right, I wonder if I could stuff a whole donut in my mouth. Because that will get a good laugh. Actually could. So I, did, I got the next question right, took this donut, stuffed it in my mouth, and got a good laugh. But the trouble was, don't do this at home, folks, because a bit of sort of donut, you know how it goes all kind of claggy, the donut? Well, a bit kind of dropped off and just lodged in my windpipe. And I started kind of <laughs> choking like this. And the more I choked, the more everyone laughed. Because my life passed before me. It was terrible. And thank goodness, um, Tomek Bork, who played um, Captain Sorin in, in uh, Curse of Fenric, I was sort of, my eyes were beginning to pop out and I was turning a bit blue. And he suddenly thought, I don't think she's acting. <laughs> and he brought a, a, a glass of water and I, I just took it, you know, took this glass of water, turned round to the back of the stage and kind of very indelicately brought up this bit of donut. And John, to his eternal credit, said, never mind, we can auction this off later. <laughs> It was a huge relief because I remember the moment when I realised you were really in trouble. I thought, my God, I'm standing on stage in front of 300 Doctor Who fans in full makeup and I've just killed the most popular Doctor Who fan ever. <laughs> I'm not going to get out to be alive. So, how are things at Big Finish these days, John? Things are very good at Big Finish. They're uh, very busy. I've been uh, directing quite a lot of them. Uh, we did one with Sylvester without you, I'm afraid, uh, without any companion, um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, your, your temporary replacement was Michelle Gomez from Green Wing. Oh, great. But she refused to get in the TARDIS at the end. I'm not, I'm not giving anything away. Though. Um, and I'm going to direct uh, one with Colin, um, not this week but next week in London, called The Wishing Beast, uh, which is by Paul Mars. And that's another one of these three parters of a one parter. How familiar are you all with Big Finished? Oh, yeah. You're all right, but okay. Um, so yeah, that's keeping me busy, working on scripts and okay. as well as launching new websites, which is about to happen finally. Okay. Yeah. I was telling John beforehand that the most bizarre piece of feedback I got recently was for Memory Lane. Uh, we're in, in the beginning of Memory Lane, when I'm in the bubble sort of prison area, I did my, and on Gary's request, did a Scottish accent and then did the sort of RP accent later on. And a friend of mine was listening to it who didn't know me, and uh, his mate was listening to it who didn't know me, and uh, said, he says, I listened to Memory Lane, it was very good. There's this guy doing a really dodgy Scottish accent at the start of it. Any accent, American they didn't know how to take that, you know. <laughs> so, people say, oh, weren't well, well, that American accents terrible? I thought, she speaks like that. <laughs> she is American, but uh, I don't think I've had anyone criticise Philip's uh, Liverpool accent. Well, it's genuine, let me go. Well, yeah, but that doesn't stop anyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, have you got, uh, is Sophie coming up soon? I'm going to do something. Any big things for Sophie coming up? Yeah, there is a... Uh, another Hex Ace one coming out called, this is the now legendary silent movie one. Oh, you, I don't know. You've not heard this? No, no. Well, when we did, when we did uh, No Man's Land at the end of last year, yeah. and this is when Nick Briggs had just taken over as producer, because Gary had gone off to Cardiff. And we sat down with uh, Sylvester, and Nick was very keen to get feedback from all the doctors and companions, make sure everyone was happy. And um, I said, 
Sylvester, uh, are you happy? Uh, would you like us to do any other kinds of stories? And he said, yes, I want to do Doctor Who, the silent movie. <laughs> and we thought, right, okay. And, but he, he clearly thought about this, and by the end of the day, when we'd finished uh, the final recording, and you'd all gone, and it was Sylvester, me and Nick sat down in the pub, and he came out, Sylvester came out with his round of drinks, and said, he said right, I've, I've worked it all out. He said, what it is, is these aliens up in space, they're looking down and they see this new technology, it's movies, movies, and they think this is their way of spreading the evil around the world. And then, Doctor Who saves the day. <laughs> and we, I said, well, that's a novel twist, Sylvester. And I don't think he quite knew why we were all laughing so much. So we are doing Doctor Who the Silent Fantastic. Movie. Fantastic. Final reel, and uh, it is a hex and uh, ace story. It's, it's, it's actually going to be set in the... Uh, British silent movie industry, rather than the more obvious sort of Hollywood Charlie Chaplin one, so. Excellent. Has that been researched quite well? Have you got... You know, yes, actually, it's, it's written by... No, oh, I forgot his name now. One of the authors who has written books on British silent movie, so he knows his stuff, and uh, we said we thought we should start it. This is spoiling We should start it. You know, just have the Doctor Who theme and then just hear piano music and nothing else. Well, in memory lane, they wanted to do... The initial idea was to have the Doctor Who theme as an ice cream van. Uh, which I thought was a fantastic right. idea, but I don't think they had the time to, to get it together. That would have been really... I like some of the variations you've got. It was incredibly difficult to write for Doctor Who anyway, but even more so for... I have attempted a couple of big finish, and I've got no more than two pages in. Um, I mean, what, what, what do you think are the problems with writing for, for audio adventures as opposed to... Because you've worked in television as well, John, so... I think, I think you get through more story in... Uh, the audios. I mean, I think our four, a four-part on audio is actually probably equivalent to a six-part intelligence, because, you know, there's obviously you're relying much more on speaking and dialogue, so there isn't so many sequences. I mean, like, you might have an episode where you're, being, you're hitting Daleks with a baseball bat or something, so there's obviously no dialogue in that. But you obviously need more dialogue, so you, you, you move the plot forward. So I think you need a lot more ideas and subplots to keep it, uh, keep it going, otherwise it will flag. Um, I think that, to me, is the main It's got problem. to be very clear as well, hasn't it? The, the, the kind of storylines have to be very, very yes. clear. And, 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 you know, it has to come through the dialogue, but without it being too clunky, you don't want the old, you know, the gun in my right hand is loaded um, syndrome. But um, Do you have any sort of guidelines for, for writers when you're... Actually, in terms of booklet, well, I think, yeah. I think Nick Briggs is going to put one together. Um, it's, it's sort of avoiding doing things that have been done perhaps too often, um, which is difficult. You know, the more time passes with Doctor Who, it, it is harder to come up with new ideas or, or twists on, on older ones. But, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, people just need to be able to write dialogue. I mean, dialogue is, is, is what radio is, isn't it, really? You may have an opinion on all the dialogue you've been given to speak, I don't know. No, I'm very happy with dialogue. Oh, good. You can hear the first and second parts of that interview on episodes 15 and 17. Our next episode will be on fandom comedy. We'll be looking at an Australian series called Outland and also Cruise of the Gods starring Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you liked it, do share it with your friends and we hope you tune in again soon. Bye for now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions.
For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.